Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Steve Wigley onto the Golders podcast. Steve played under the great Brian Clough at Nottingham Forest and also played at several other professional clubs. After his playing career finished, he went into coaching and has worked at numerous different levels, including being a Premier League manager and working with England all the way from the full national team down to the youth teams. Steve, welcome and thanks for creating time to be with us today, mate. Before we actually start, can you share a quick summary of your background in playing? Oof, that's a long time ago, Keith. Um, I came into the game late, 19, going on 20. I worked for the civil engineers, city engineers and surveyors. And um, I played non-league for Curzon. I was fortunate enough to get a few offers in the lower league, but turned them down and eventually signed for Forest, Nottingham Forest, who at the time... Uh, I'd just won the what was the European Cup. Uh, so you can imagine I was a little bit out of my depth there. Sheffield United, Birmingham, Portsmouth, uh, finished my last year at Exeter. So, uh, journeyman footballer. You know, you're a lad from Ashton Underline, Manchester. You yep. played for your local team, Curzon Ashton, where you attracted the attention of the great Brian Clough, who promptly signed you for Nottingham Forest. What was that experience like? Uh, so I missed out on being an apprentice, you know, what, uh, what at the time was a scheme. And I went in, I'll never forget it, I signed on April the 1st, uh, I signed the day, April Fool's Day. And um, uh, they, they came over to Ashton to, to talk about the contract. Jimmy Gordon came, God bless him, lovely man who was one of Brian's um, main men. And I remember sitting with my dad and thinking, pot of gold here, we've done well. You know, I'm going to sign this contract and be in a nice position. I actually ended up signing for £15 a week less than I was earning in my job. Uh, so that was the first lesson I learned very quickly. So you, you were uh, an engineer? I worked in for the city engineers and surveying, but in the office base size. Uh, and, um, and I was also playing non-league, obviously, but... Didn't earn a lot at non-league, but I've been, been offered a lot of money to go to some of the other non-league clubs. So even taking that out, I was £15 a week worse off than I was for the city engineers and surveyors. <laughs> and um, I remember turning to my dad and he just smiled and said, sign it or you'll regret it for the rest of your life, which I did. Uh, very pleased I did as well, Keith. Then, you know, within within a week, you're in Nottingham. Um one of the first cars you see is this unbelievable sports car of Trevor Francis, and um, you know the, who soon went on to be the first million pound player. And I've got to say, for the April and May, I didn't know what had hit me. I, I just thought, what am I doing here? And um, and it was quite interesting that you know the genius in in Brian Clough, in his way, he helps you settle when you hear arguably the greatest manager there's ever been, 
start telling everybody to pass the ball to you, you think, wow. And um, yeah, and, and when I came back after the summer break, we had 10 weeks off, I was settled uh, and then ready to compete. But I must say in that probably four and a half, five year period, he must have signed every right winger under the sun before he gave me my chance. You know what I mean? I think, I think they'd run out of money. Yeah. But it must have been, it must have been a fantastic experience for you. Because I think you, if I've got it right, I think you, you were 21, very young, played in the first team at that point. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Just after that, after being 21, got in and played with some great players. You know, I mean, John Robertson, John McGovern, you know, Viv Anderson. I, I played with the best fullback in the league in Viv Anderson that would, you know, he made me look good, keep running past me and, and you know, and I could dip inside. Yeah, and I, you're fortunate you're a football club with, with, with unbelievable values. My first ever, even on trial, I shared a room with John Aware, and John Aware was a double European Cup winner, double winner of, the, of what was the first division there. And, and that was very much the Forest way, that they put you with a senior player and, and to help you settle and learn your trade. And I'll never forget, we, we were playing Burnley, it was my trial game. And, and John, I'm sat on the one bed, and John sat on the other, and he's got the Daily Telegraph out, and he's doing the crossword. And I'm thinking, God, he must be clever because I've never seen a paper so big. Because I don't really remember the Telegraph. It was, it yeah, weren't yes. like this. It weren't like the sun and the mirror. And he was asking me a couple of questions. I'm thinking, how does he expect me to know them? You know. And um, but that that probably was kind of the culture of Forest because mm. when I got in the team, I roomed with Ian Boyer. Chris Fairclough used to room with Paul Art, and you know, you had the senior player and. Um, you didn't have to learn some good habits, you know, and, and then core values are still with me today, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's great. And it, the, the stories you share, the anecdotes, and being around such a, a man of great presence in Brian Clough, you know, he had immense qualities, I'm sure, which we're curious to find out what they are. I mean, what it, was he like around the club, Steve? He was, um, it, it was quite interesting, really, because he wasn't a great one for uh, training sessions. He, he would walk down the river with his dog. He'd observe, or one of the coaches like Liam or Ronnie Fenton, they could have put this session all planned out, and he could just arrive and say, no, we're going to have a five-a-side. And you'd, you'd have a five-a-side. Um, but when he was there, the level goes through the roof. And what, what I learned... What I really observed and, and I found really interested, he used to watch every home game of the youth team on a Saturday morning. Mm. So he, he would be there. So he would come to nearly all the reserve games. You could be up in Sunderland and all of a sudden you'd do something wrong and you'd hear this voice from this empty stand. And um, so, <laughs> be him. Ma yeah, match days was everything. And, and I actually played one Saturday morning, the full... 90 minutes because you've got to remember there that was when you had a first team a reserve team and an A team yeah, but the reserve right. team all played on a Saturday but if the reserve team didn't have a game on a Saturday you could sell, find yourself playing in the A team which is like a youth team today so I've actually played in, in a youth team that's had like Viv and Willie Young in it they're coming back from injury and, and, and he's, you're playing in it 
There's one particular Saturday morning, we're playing at home and uh, the game ends. Obviously played very, very well. Played 90 minutes and um, over he walks. Uh, get a quick shower and get down the ground and bring your boots with you. So, lo and behold, shower, down, down the ground. And, and I'd, I'd had, I had played in the first team, don't get me wrong, a few games before. But I then found myself on the bench in the Saturday afternoon. So the game's for finished. For the first team? At, for the first team. And you end up going on for 20 minutes in that game. But he didn't take you off at half-time in the game, in the youth team game. He just let you play it. And then it was, yeah. quick, get, get down the ground. And um, then you get down the ground and the kit's there and you're walking. Oh, you're sub today. Bear in mind, there was only one sub. You know, <laughs> so it, it kind of... You know, it's very hard to explain somebody, you know, the two grounds were separated by the River Trent and Cluffy didn't need the bridge to get over to the Notts County side. He could have just walked across the river, you know. That's how we perceived him. So there you were. You got Ronnie Fenton. You're ready for a a session, training session. He'd rock up with his dog. They've all organised. He then changes the practice it just shows great situational awareness on his part where they've set up and then you finish off playing five aside. Yeah. Now, in all of that, you're playing in games, you play the full game and then he goes and puts you in the first team on the bench as a sub. Bro, overriding all of that, Steve, in all those wonderful experiences, what do you take home? What did you learn from that experience being down with Brian Clough at that time? Oh, listen, as I said, them them core value, hard work, honesty and humility. And they're three that I I take with me today. And uh, if you didn't have them three things, you definitely weren't going to play football uh, at Nottingham Forest. And um, and, and they were the kind of values that, that, they weren't preached here. They were just, they were an acceptable part of the football club. Get them right, you start winning games of football. And um, yeah. he, he, he would not accept excuses. You know, they didn't exist in his mind. Yeah, cause I'm curious about the hard work, humility and honesty. That displayed through himself and the rest of his staff? Or was it just yeah. a general expectation of what's gone prior to? I think it was just, just the way that you was asked to, to train and play an act away from the ground. If a Forest team scored a goal, there was no running around celebration. He, you know, he would... I remember Rodgers scoring a goal at Man City and um, Stevie was a, a Man City fan. So it meant quite a bit more to him scoring there. I was a Manchester lad as well, but he then probably over-celebrated. Um, he soon heard about it after. You know, it was, it was just <laughs> that way. It, it was, you scored, line up, get ready to go. All the things added up. It wasn't a list of rules. It wasn't, you can't do this, you can't do that. I think you had a good idea what you could do and what you couldn't do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's quite simple, really. So, Steve, you've, you've touched on your experiences as a player. You obviously worked or played under Brian Clough. You've then gone into coaching. Can you share some stories with you in your formative years of, of coaching? Yeah, I, I initially, uh, when I finished playing, I went to Aldershot as a manager and um, probably 
wasn't ready for something like that because I hadn't really coached, if, I, if I'm honest. And then Paul Paul approached me when I was still the manager, Paul Hart, that is, who just left Leeds and Keith had worked there with, with Paul at Leeds. And I played with Paul uh, and said that he was going to go to Nottingham. And um, would I be interested? Well, I looked at that as an opportunity to really go and learn uh, to be a coach. So I took that took the opportunity lo and behold I didn't realise that learning meant standing next to Paul for a year and I stood there and I didn't take any coaching sessions in that year hardly and I learnt my trade so when young coaches think that this is a race I am so pleased that that happened because you know I look back on that year and then Three, three other years with Paul as being the what gave me the real grounding in, in, to understand what you needed to be a to be a coach, but particularly how to get the best out of young players. So you've touched on Brian Clough's influence on you, but who else has been a key influence for you as a coach? I know you've also mentioned Paul Hart. I think Paul more than anybody. If I'm honest, I've then been fortunate to to work with some good managers, people like Stuart Pearce, you know, where you learned with Stuart, Stuart was brilliant at dealing with players. You know, he was nothing like the cycle that people think, you know, he's the most calm person I've ever met. And, um, and, and really where young players were concerned, he, he was the type of player that, if, rather than keep going back to maybe a player that hadn't done it for him, he'd just say, oh, let's put the young in and see what happens. And um, I thought that was refreshing, to be honest. Um, it can sometimes not help you win games because you, you can end up on the younger side. But I thought in terms of somebody who who, who gave young players an opportunity, um, I've worked with a lot of a lot of people. And, and, you know, even today, you know, you, you go out and I watch our first team work and I watch Stuart Gray and Scott Parker and Matty Wells, who are the coaches, and there's never a time that you don't go away, that you don't learn something. You know, you walk on that training ground and you can see people that are well prepared. And, um, and it's pretty obvious when you watch good coaches work because you see right away what they're trying to achieve. So when you've been around it as long as I have, David, you, you're going to see a lot of good players, a lot of good people work. And you've, you've just mentioned where you are now and going in watching the first team. So you're at Fulham. Can you give us some insights into what your role is and what it entails? Yeah, my, my title at Fulham is Head of Player Development, um, stroke the under-18s coach. So I take the under-18s on a Saturday, but under-21 down, I'm responsible for the individual player development of the boys in the football club. And that's a vast range. Um, so, you know, I'm there to ensure that, A, they've all got the individual uh, development plans, are they all getting better? Obviously, I'm like a checklist for the coaches, if I'm being honest, in terms of, you know, if, if they're telling me that somebody is going to be an A-grade player and he at 12, 13, we're hoping that that's going to carry on through the ages. And if he hasn't, if he doesn't, then why hasn't it happened, really? And then I do like taking a team, I'll be honest, so I still enjoy taking the under-18s on a Saturday. And... Um, and the reason I take that age group, I do feel that within the full-time structure, if you get the 18s right, things follow through quite nicely. And uh, that's why I tend to, to enjoy taking that age group. 
So you're working with younger kids, you've mentioned from 21 down. In the role, are you a performance or result-happy coach? I'm a competitor. So I like to win, no two ways about that. Um, but it's not at any cost. You know, the performance has to look good on the eye to me. You know, I couldn't stand there and, uh, and week in and week out and think, oh, we'll win by just getting 11 men behind the ball. Don't get me wrong. But when I talk about um, the core values and that, I think if you get all them things right, then you've got a lot greater chance of winning um, football games. And I'd, I'd hate to ever think that people played against uh, a Fulham side, or particularly when I'm coaching, and thought we were a soft touch because that wouldn't sit nice with me if I'm honest. So, um, yeah, performance, but I do like to win. With that being said, how important is it, that winning factor in developing players, especially to move on to the top level? I think if you, if my experience is at, at Forest, Southampton and Fulham, where I've, I've done this job, every time we've had a good team that won games, we've produced a lot more players. And, and I don't see a lot of teams that lose every week producing, um, producing is the wrong word, developing players. You know, I don't, I don't see that. So I do feel that there aren't many professional footballers I've met that didn't like winning and get really narky about losing them, being honest. I mean, you know, in my under-18 group this year, I've got three or four players and they, they detest losing. And, and that's daily. So... There's got to be a balance. So you could go down the route of signing 11 big, strong, powerful boys that might help you win at under-18 level. But you're not going to get as many out of it at the other end. Um, so we're, we kind of have a way of doing it. And I, I'm a great believer in um, not having massive numbers. Or probably nearly everywhere I've been will have the smallest squad size. But it does mean that people keep playing uh, get opportunity and um, and I do find then you not keep going to average the people that are playing out there are the ones that help you be competitive Hey Steve I, I remember I, I've experienced that competitiveness that you bring because I when I were down at Forest and you and I used to when we had the 16s or I had the 16s for a period of time you'd be coming in and playing in the practice and mm. I don't think you, you've never been on a losing side I don't think coaches can uh, ever be on a losing side, and I learned that quite quickly. Yeah, that's called cheating, it? Keith. That's, uh, that's well, bending, let's call it bending, bending the rules. Just while we're on about that, I can say that you are the only person I know that's ever put an extra player on the football pitch and actually played with 12 players during the mm. game. So well, that, That's correct. So, so it, yeah, it was, and I absolutely chuckled to myself. So, uh, yeah. Do you want and to explain that, why? Do you want me to explain the reason? I think you can explain it, but the fact that the other coach didn't work it out, I was amazed. <laughs> well, we were getting a bit of a tanking. I just figured as for learning for the opposition to be able to cope with the extra play, it wasn't that I'm, even though I might, I've not very, been never really any good at maths, but on that particular occasion, it was, we, we needed to, I don't want players getting battered. Don't think I don't believe in that. We weren't doing particularly well, and it was a, it was a little bit of a thumping. So yeah, we just slipped a. For all the referees out there, 
uh, and and I'm, I've got a game. You just have to make sure you get the right numbers on the pitch. But that was why it was done. And but I appreciate it because nowadays it might be slightly different. So listen, we speak about your coaching, and it's wonderful to listen to again these stories that are real. We get people on that are. Uh, specific specialists, which is wonderful. Let's be field experts. You're a field expert in a different arena. How would you describe your coaching style? What's what's it like now to when you first started? I'd like to think it's impactful. You know what I mean? Because uh, when I look back on my career, I look at two or three people that really had an impact on helping me. So that's always been my main aim to make sure that when this journey ends that if somebody looked back they could say to me he helped make a difference now whether that's the case or not I don't know but, but that's how I, I like to think of it um, I'm a great one that believes in consistency I think if you're consistent and you treat everybody across the board uh, in the same way you'll get a real good collective and uh, I think as I've probably got a little bit older I've kind of been a little bit more creative I've probably sat back a little bit more and um, certainly planned a lot more but but try and put myself in their shoes because I really do think it, it it's totally different coaching today than it was 20 years ago I don't think the principles of coaching have changed but I think the environment has definitely changed in the culture yeah you mentioned about being creative there in your are you referring to being more creative in your practice design or in the way you think about the game i think the more i think about the game and, and the more i've probably realized as well that you know the different methods of learning you know i came from a well I'll be dead honest when i first started it it, it used to be a three and you're out you used to tell them didn't you and, and you think oh, are they listening then you you go again and you think hmm are they not the brightest and then you go again and you'd say well hang on a minute do they think they know better um i think nowadays i think you, you, you're just in that you've got so many tools at your disposal and so many staff that's the other thing whereas um you know, we talk about an MDT approach now where if you go back, Keith, when how many full-time staff we had at, at, uh, at Forest, you know, yeah. you've probably got that parade group now as against yeah, sure. a, a crosser. Sure. So I think if you're, if you're not willing to, to open up and give your staff a real opportunity to do their job, I really think you're, you're, you're losing out. You know, so I, the one thing I certainly don't do, I do not try and do anybody else's job. Yeah. You know, I'll make sure I do mine. And uh, I have a, a, a saying to my staff, keep my plate empty. Don't pile it with your problems. You know what I mean? It, keep it, let's keep everybody doing their job well. And I feel as though that I'm probably a lot better at that, Keith, than I was before. So, Steve, we've, we've touched on the coaching side of what you're doing now. You were also involved with the England Under-21s with Stuart Pearce. And in August of 2017, you assumed responsibility for the 17 to the 21 age groups to help develop the younger players. What are the differences between club and international coaching? 
you just when you're at your club, you might have two or three elite players. Once you get to international level, you are you've got the best of the best, particularly in, in this country. You know, we've got a a plethora of top players, and um, but it's still the same approach. If you're honest, you know the the players like being coached. I really do believe that it doesn't matter how good they are. They like to be organised. They like to to they receive information. And I've, I've often found the better players are the better ones at, at, at receiving information, if I'm honest. So I probably ne- never had to adjust my coaching style, whether I've been first team, youth team or, or the international level. But the wow factor uh, of international football, of putting a session on and, and seeing the ball move quicker, and there's not as many turnovers because players have, you know, you know the, the the standard, and and I think that is the pinnacle at any stage. If, if you're fortunate to go and work with what's considered the best, say, twenty players in, in any age group, uh, is something that uh, if you get the chance, you should cherish it. So when you're preparing the team, look with club football, you you're working day in day out with players. They are together as a collective, but international, in international football, you bring in players together from different clubs. What was that like, and how did you how did you manage that? I actually did it twice. I did it with David Platt as well, with with, with a group of players. Um, you know, that had some real top players. And I think the hardest thing is because you're getting them say for you've got two games, might be a ten day get together, and you've probably got a six day lead into the first game. And because you only get them for, for that short period, you tend to try, you do, you do too much. And, and you, you want to get all the stuff that you think you need to do. And I learned a lesson uh, probably about three or four months in, in, into doing the job. We'd had a get-together, then we'd had another get-together. And I started to notice that one or two players dropped out on a certain day in training, you know, that said they'd got a niggle. So, again, being somebody that's more than happy to have the conversation, I said to him, I said, lads, I said, you did this in the last get-together. You know, you talk about honesty. Great lads. They said, Steve, we play on a Saturday, we have a Sunday off. Then we train Monday, Tuesday at home, have Wednesday off, train Thursday, Friday, play Saturday. We've come here, we train on a Sunday when we get here, we train Monday morning, Monday afternoon, we train Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, we train Wednesday, we play Thursday. We'll be... We'd be knackered by Friday, so we're just adjusting our body in the right way. And it and, and it was a real eye-opener to, to, you know, then to sit down with the staff and say, hang on a minute, we, you know, they ain't stupid, these players. They are doing what's best for them individually because it's so different. So you start to adjust the training and, you know, drop one in the afternoon sessions and, and, and have a light, lighter day. And then they all get confident in the um, in the process, really. But at the start, you're so consumed with trying to get as much information over, and really, you, you can get some of that information over in a classroom. Mm. That's refreshing to hear that you've got someone that's working with England setups at this point, learning from the players. And it would be very easy to look at that situation and and say this is what it is, this is what we're doing. But you've gone back and reflected and said, maybe we need to adjust and adapt to what the players' requirements are. And 
most of the time I was doing this role, I was I was doing it part time. I was working ninety percent of me doing it over. It's about a seven year period with, with two different managers. Is so you're kind of thinking that yourself anyhow because you're seeing it and thinking, God, you know, we're working miles more than we would at the club and we're playing a day earlier. But you get caught up in it. And, and, and sometimes you need somebody to tell you. And, uh, you know, good players that are honest, they, they tell you in the right way as well. And, but then there's an onus on you to go and do something about it. Because once you've opened the door, if you don't do something about it, then you're leaving yourself a little bit wide open. So you've had those conversations... Players are coming in. What then did you base the coaching session off? Was it what the players like to do? Was it based off who you were playing? Or was it a combination of both? It was, I would say it was probably 75% on how we wanted to play. And then 25% a little bit on the opposition in terms of, and you've got to remember with England, you know, 75% of the time, you do have a better team than the opposition. And then when you get to the real big games, that's when it's a, a game of chess. But both Stuart and, and David, David Platt, they both liked coaching to be relevant to how we were going to play. So it was, um, if I was doing a, we, we played a 4-3-3, if I was doing a crossing and finishing session, it would be done in the shape that we played in. And, um, you know, everybody would be, for 80% of the time, would be working in their positions. And I remember with Stuart particularly, I, I have one one session that, that I do and um, and it's very much how you'll end up in your positions as you're playing the game. And we used to do it a lot with England and the players knew it off by art and the quality was, you know, the, the finishing, the crossing and, you know, we used to stand there and watch it and think, wow. And in the last 10 minutes of it, I would give everybody an opportunity to just want to change position, just to do something different. And you'd probably find the only people that would often change, the wingers might want to come in and have a few shots from the edge of the box because they involved that. I remember probably about a year in, we had one get-together and I decided we're doing it in a different way, you know, and I get a tap on the shoulder and Stuart says, what are you doing? I said, well, I thought we'd do something different. He went, we don't, you know, we're not playing that way. You know what I mean? He said, that's just a crossing and finishing session. And he was right, you know, and I'd probably just got a little bit bored and thought, oh, I'll show I can do something different. And, um, and probably went away from the relevance, if I'm honest. So obviously I didn't do that again. Um, I learned by my mistakes. See, Luke, you've mentioned clubs, teams that you've either managed or been first team coach. So you've been at Aldershot where you first started and you cut your teeth there as a manager. You then went to Southampton. I know you were... Uh, academy manager down there, you've been at Forest, Bolton, of course, Man City, Hull, Bristol City, and of course, with the England under-21s. Now, share with us, what, what's the difference between coaching and managing? I think, that, you know, I can explain that one. Southampton, you know, I, I, I took, I went there, did, did the reserves, became director of youth, eventually became the manager. Um, for a short period, there's a massive difference. When you sit there in that chair, um, you, you feel the old weight of everybody in your football club. If you're not winning games um, at the time, you know, we had a bad run and you, you're fearing relegation and you start to think about who could lose a job and things like that. 
you would come through the front door on a Saturday night. You know, the family had been at the game. They'd turn left, I'd turn right, and I'd go and sit in the uh, in, in in the back room in the house, and I would stare at the TV, and pr- and I couldn't have told you what was on. And when you're the assistant, you think you you are bearing a lot of pressure as well, but it's nothing like it. You you are in it with the manager. You're thinking about it all the time, and, and you're doing everything you can to help him, and, and you're probably. You know, you're sharing in the joy and also if things ain't going well, trying to lift the spirits. But it's very, very difficult, you know, and I admire the managers. I really do. And and, and that's the one thing when, when I listen to coaches go on about he's not, he's useless, he can't do that or why didn't they do that in the game? Listen, when the pressure's on and um, you, you've got to deliver, it, I think it, it's a real tough job. I really do, and um, and it's nice to see you know the ones with experience that, that that have come through it. So, from a you know first team coach, assistant coach, or lead coach, what advice would you give to them when working with a manager? Because I would imagine um, there could be massive differences again, isn't it, in terms of the characteristics? Yeah, I, I think the day. When a manager has to pick you up, you need to walk out the door. Yeah, you know I mean, your job is is to do everything you can to support because it is a support role. You know, you you're there to be the coach, um, and and that's different in every club you can be at. You know, I've been at some clubs where I've done seventy five percent of the coaching, and I've I've been at other clubs where the manager has come out and and you know on the back end of the week done it. So one particularly. Uh, I worked with Gary Megson at Bolton, which I really enjoyed. And we played a quite direct style of football. Gary really came into his own on a Thursday and Friday and, uh, you know, assumed the the role of coach then. So it it varies at different clubs um, where someone like Gary, I wouldn't advise Gary to go out on a Monday because if we hadn't lost, I used to say to Gary, stay away a little bit it's still being work you know you know and he'd say no i'll come out and say and, and you have to have them conversations you know but again you know that's probably one of the most enjoyable two years i've had uh, with, with someone like gary who, who made different demands so you've worked at a range of different clubs steve can you share some of the insights and the lessons that you've learned from all of the experiences that you've gathered yeah uh, the the one thing i would always say is be honest with players that's absolute paramount to me. If you don't, they'll find you out. You know, if, if you're going to be a coach and listen, sometimes you have to be a little bit selective in, in, in how you say something and, and you, you might, you know, have, have to wait before you deliver something. You might, it might not be the right time, but ultimately I do believe that um, if you're going to work with players at any level, Honesty is absolutely one of your most important tools. Uh, like I said, uh, be consistent and work hard. Because if you work hard, they'll work hard. If they think you're lazy, you'll give them an opportunity to be lazy themselves. Looking forward, what skills does the coach of the future need to have and need to develop? Well, I think that's that. You know, that's the one thing. I think he needs to be well informed. I think he's got to be somebody. I use the word creative, so to 
to be creative sometimes you've got to be a bit of a dreamer you know you've got to you've got to sit back and and, and be able to think well where's it going next because the game changing all the time you know it's got quicker I think coaching has gone to another level when you look at the, the the top coaches around the world now I just take I look at two coaches Guardiola and Klopp totally different in their approach but they're absolutely unbelievable at what they do and um, it's people like that that are changing the game all the time you know if, if, if you looked at what Pep brought Everybody thought that the game was just going to be a totally possession-based game and everybody started to copy that. Then Jurgen Klopp takes over at Liverpool and there's his such an high-tempo game with energy and crosses and a lot more balls in behind and running, things like that. So that's a totally different style of football. Still very possession-based, but I do think when you look at how the game changes a little bit, I think you've got to be ready to adjust to, to what players need. And again, I think you've got to you've got to want, you've got to demand excellence, you know, and it doesn't matter how you want to play or how you're going to play, that is vital for me that you 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 put yourself in a position where you're demanding excellence of players. Steve, final question. Because I could sit here and listen to you all day, the conversation that you and I have had, and and most recently, but many conversations that we've had in the past, they always find them. I always come away from what has been shared. I always come away with it with something. I think that's a great gift, uh, and it's a natural thing in knowing you, because you, it's etched in you. You keep mentioning honesty, and you mentioned earlier about the humility in in around. You know, there's core values down at Forest. I just think those are etched in you. And and so, look, we hear a lot talking about new school, old school type of coaching. It, it appears very, it's very evident that you, you're adjusting, you're adapting very quickly to what is current. But what are your thoughts around this old school, new school? Well, I, I have this conversation uh, with John McDermott every every time I see him and John just gone in at the FA and um, people might describe us as a little bit old school because we would bang on these values that we're talking about. I think, I think the game will, will always, always be censored in a similar way. So if I, if I went back to say Brian Clough, we started this discussion with Brian Clough and Brian Clough early on, particularly at, at Forest was playing with split strikers, with a number 10. You know, Tony Woodcock, Teddy Sheringham, Nigel. Now, people started talking about split strikers 10 years on, number 10s. But he would have said we played with two centre forwards, but one dropped into the hole. So when everybody started going on about this number 10 position, I was thinking, I was playing in a team that did that years ago. Terry Venables played the best example I've ever seen of playing a back three in Euro 96, where the game, he played three players at the back, he played a centre-half and two full-backs. So that was inventive. Um, and then you get to the coaches of today. I would, you know, as I've just discussed earlier, I think the game will always have the same core values and it's just how you adjust with them. 
but if you certainly decide to ignore what's gone on in the past, I think you'll fail. I, th I do believe that everybody should respect the coaches that have gone before because there's been, there's been some brilliant coaches and, and one that, you know, you were very close and dear to, you know, that we talked about the other day in Dick Bay, who, who, who was a fantastic coach, who could put on, who loved, Dick was a, a real, he loved the German way of playing football, didn't he, and things like that. And, um, you know, he, he would he would have that argument on the German style of football with the old day. You know, I might then preach the Dutch and, and you get into that wonderful debate that we have. But I think there's some fantastic coaches nowadays. The one, the one thing I do think is that young coaches around the world are getting opportunities. And uh, if you look at someone like Germany, they're definitely getting opportunities young because of what they're doing at youth football. And the only challenge we've got in this country, we are a great uh, importer of, of coaches and players. And our Premier League is so held up there that wants that, that diversity that I do worry for our coaches, if I'm honest. You know, will they get... I don't think there's the same opportunities, Keith, that I probably had because there's so more, many more coaches about. We, we hear, Steve, this school, that school. I think it's a school. It's still the same school. One of our previous guests had mentioned the same thing. It's the same school. It's just different operation. We've got different people heading the school. You mentioned things that have gone in the past, I press. It's, it's been there. It's how we, it's how we communicate it. We, we might label it slightly differently. That's all. Steve, I, I've got a... I've got to thank you. I know David's, I'm going to butt in here, but I think it's important from my perspective. Listen, it's been top draw, this. As a friend and someone that I've known over many years, although we're, you know, we don't, we're not in each other's pockets, I always remember the, the conversation that we used to have and they would definitely be very straight, plain, but real, football real. I class you to be a, a player's coach get coaches coaches and they're very good at you know clinicians you're a players coach players love to play for you i know you know having experience being around when you dropped in when i was taking one of the teams you'd drop in and play we'd play you'd be involved with it and it were competitive but there's a there's an element of fun and i think that could be taken too far at times but it was a lovely balance to it I come back to what you mentioned right at the top around the core values that, that were at Nottingham Forest were humility, hard work and honesty. You've mentioned it quite frequently during this interview about honesty. And you're the type of man that I have always, I've always had, we've always had frank conversations and I found that to be one of your great qualities and that's never going to change. So on my, on my behalf, Thank you, mate. It's been fantastic to, to have you here. Thank you yeah. very much, Keith. And I'm going to echo that as well. It's, this has been brilliant. You've experienced it from a playing standpoint at the top level and at coaching too. You've been at the top level and you've been honest throughout the conversation and, and I think you've you'll have shared some stuff here that people are going to look and go, wow, that's unbelievable. I just want to thank you for coming on. It's, it's been a, a pleasure having you on and 
when you get back to training, enjoy whenever that is, enjoy and keep sprinkling the magic. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for both of you and um, look forward to seeing you at some stage. Yeah. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at www.golddustmentoring.com. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.